So I want to start by having you think of a relationship that you have, like a good relationship that you have, like the type of relationship where you're always texting, always talking. It could be a friendship, it could be a romantic relationship, it could be boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, it could be a family member. But if you think about this important, rich relationship that you have, now pause for a second and think, what would that relationship be like if you just didn't talk? What would that relationship be like if you just didn't communicate? Can you think of a relationship that you've had? Me, I think of, I often go back to like my high school days. And even my friends within the church, like the youth group, we were a really, really tight youth group. And in that moment, you're like, man, we're going to be friends for life. Like we're just laying down the bedrock to lifelong friendship. And I can't say that anything necessarily happened. There wasn't any huge fallout. But I know that I'm not close with these people anymore. And I know that a lot of it has to do with the fact that we just don't communicate. What happens in relationships when you just don't communicate? Have you ever, ever had a relationship just kind of fizzle out because of that? You just lost touch. Like I said, no, no fallout, nothing like that, but you just lost touch. How much does communication impact our relationship? How important is communication in our relationships? And then there's the whole dynamic of communication. Like me, personally, I've, I've always had a hard time sharing my feelings. I've always had a hard time like going deep into my feelings with people. It's hard to open up. It's hard to communicate. Or, or there's this sense of maybe it's hard to even believe that anyone's interested in talking with me or interested in what I have going on or interested in my own feelings. Another dynamic is, is just time, right? Relationships take time. Relationships take investing time. And it's hard to make time. It's hard to invest into something that we don't, we're wondering, is it even worth it? Sometimes it's hard to invest time because we don't feel like the same investment's being reciprocated. As we heard last week, it's just hard to stop and listen. So today we're going to be talking about the spiritual rhythm of prayer. Prayer is one of the most important parts of our relationship with God. And prayer is communication. It's the means by which we communicate to our Heavenly Father. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is a conversation with God. You heard Pastor Josh mention last week as we kicked off this series that as we reevaluate our spiritual rhythms, we're going to be asking ourselves this question, what is God inviting us into? 
So spiritual rhythms are an opportunity, and prayer is just that. Prayer is simply an opportunity to communicate with our Heavenly Father. It's not a chore. It's not one more thing we need to check off the list of being a good Christian. It's an opportunity, and, and, and every opportunity has potential. Just like as, as you look at that list of spiritual practices and rhythms, it's not a list to check off, but it's a list of opportunities. It's a list of potential. So as you, as you look at all these different practices, consider them an opportunity with much potential to grow. This weekend, we're going to be in, in the backyard of my home, we're going to be taking a, a corner of the backyard and, and planting a garden. And I'm excited because I'm, I'm not a huge, huge gardener, but, but we've just about doubled our garden in size. So we spent yesterday getting all the plants and everything, and today we're going to fence it all off. But I love the, the imagery of these little plants that f- fit in this little container that we brought home, little stems of a thing. What I love about gardening is seeing that flourish. What I love about gardening is this simple, like, $2 plant that when done well, and, oh, please, like, let it go well this year, but when done, when done well, it produces fruit. That's satisfying to me, to, to work the ground, to plant the water. But it's the same with these, these rhythms that we're talking about. Right? The last thing we want is to just create a checklist and go through each one, say, done, did that, I'm good. Because this is an ongoing journey as well. These practices and habits are an ongoing journey. And they're opportunities. They're opportunities to plant, to water, to grow, to see fruit. And so as we look at all of these opportunities, and as we look specifically as, at prayer, prayer so simply is our opportunity to be present with God. That sounds so, so oversimplified. But I have to admit, when I, when I approach God in prayer, that's not necessarily what I'm thinking. And what I'm thinking may not be wrong, but it's just not my posture. I'm not thinking, oh, I'm present with God in these moments. I'm communicating with God, my Father. It's so easy for prayer to get hijacked with other things. We're going to see, too, that, that prayer is connected to so many other spiritual rhythms. I listed a few, resting, confession, worship, walking. Prayer is connected to so many elements of our lives and so many other spiritual practices. The opportunity to simply be present with God. How many of us have heard the, the, the phrase like prayer life, like how's your prayer life? 
And for me, when I hear that, sometimes it, it, it makes it sound like my prayer life is different than my normal life. Or it's something separate from what I do. But one author writes that, that prayer is a regular experience of being fully known and fully loved. And, and what, when I read that quote, where I really zeroed in on was this, this idea of a regular experience. There's no format to prayer. There's instruction in Scripture on the things that we should pray for how that conversation can be guided. But ultimately, it's, it's a part of our relationship with God. It's as simple as a conversation. And if we don't have that conversation, we run the risk of fizzling out. We run the, run the risk of that lack of communication leaving us feel, feeling disconnected and not really knowing how we got there. I was at a conference this past week, and, and one of the speakers gave an awesome analogy to prayer, and I even told her, I said, I'm teaching this weekend, and I think I'm going to steal that. And she said, go right ahead, so I have no problem. But it just resonated with me, and she, she took out her phone. And she said, we, we all know what it, we feel when we see that battery get down to 10%. We all know right where the charger is. We all know the panic of feeling like if this thing goes, if this line of communication goes, what am I going to do? You can see where I'm going here, right? <laughs> Everyone she was speaking to was just like, if conviction, like, yeah, you could just feel it in the room. How much more should we lean into this opportunity to be regularly connected, fully known, and fully loved? So prayer is that, that conversation. Prayer is that connection. Prayer is that opportunity to be in the presence of God. The, the Apostle Paul writes in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. To pray without ceasing. And, and that phrase in Scripture has this, this, this meaning or this idea of just incessantly communicating. Praying without ceasing is just incessantly communicating. We have some good friends who, who, have, who just manage a, a, a lot, just manage a lot. And I, I've, I've asked the husband before, you know, like, how do you do it? And the, and the phrase that he says is over-communication, like over-communication. So just when you feel like you've said all that needs to be said, like say a little bit more. Just communicate a little bit more. Communicate how you're feeling. Communicate what's going, like the simplest little thing, but just over-communication is the key to staying connected. But then when it comes to prayer, when it comes to this opportunity, 
How many of us at one point have felt like unable or underqualified to pray? I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many people have ever felt underqualified to pray? Like, I don't know how, or I can't pray like this person, so I probably shouldn't. How many of us have just thought that prayer isn't important? Even, even deeper than that, and if you allow me to kind of pick at our souls a little bit, like how many of us have prayed because of how it makes us look in front of other people? Prideful when we pray. How many of us have used public prayer as a way to flex our spiritual muscle? I've been guilty of that before. I've been guilty of overthinking my own prayer because of how it may sound in a group of certain people. So what we're going to look at this morning and in the, in the scripture that we just read, which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and it's his instruction on prayer right before the Lord's Prayer. Right before he says to his disciples, this is how you should pray. Like this is a good format and formula to follow. He warns them what not to do. It's interesting that he, he picks out two warnings that I think are still a struggle for us today. And as we look at this spiritual practice and lean into this spiritual practice, I think it's important that we look at this because what Jesus is warning his disciples, he's also warning us today, we're the same hardened human hearts. It's important for us to identify at this point that as we work through spiritual practices and spiritual rhythms, that these are, they're, they're disciplines. They do take work. They take commitment. But it's also important to remember that these practices are not just self-help pull up your bootstraps, be better tomorrow, and live a better life tomorrow, go ye therefore. These practices are constantly being contended with. Spiritually, constantly contended with. Last week when Josh talked about silence and solitude, he talked about the hecticness and distractions of life. Today, as we talk about prayer, we're going to talk a little bit about pride and how pride can infiltrate or insecurities can infiltrate our prayer life. And we need to know that these aren't just inconveniences to our Christian lives. Like these aren't just coincidences that these distractions are attacks. These distractions are the sin of the world and the deceiver of the world trying to draw us away from relationship with God. 
Now, here's where, why Jesus teaches a warning. Here's where the gift of the Holy Spirit working in our lives steps in, the grace of God in our lives steps in. So as we read Jesus' teaching, remember, this isn't just like a do-better type of teaching. Jesus is emphasizing that truth that we need to be in relationship with him. We need to be in a relationship with him for this sort of prayer life with God to even be possible. And so he warns, starting in verse 5, he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Now, that word hypocrites in the, in the Greek was, had this, this idea of being an actor, of putting on this facade, of putting on this, this fake image of who you are. And Jesus is talking about the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, who, who would stand on the street corners so that everybody could hear them pray. One commentator said that this, this, this story has the idea of the Pharisees being on their way to the synagogue and this, this idea that their prayers were so holy and so much more worthy that they just couldn't contain themselves. They couldn't hold them and they had to stop right where they were on their way to the synagogue and just pray so that everyone could hear. Oozing with pride. So Jesus' first warning is that we can tend to think too highly of ourselves when we pray. One quote that I found was the public display of these sort of religious practices or concern to use the right formulas in performing them can easily be motivated by self-absorption and greed. These displays that bring praise to oneself. So Jesus is calling out pride. And his first warning on prayer, before he says, pray like this to his disciples, he gives warning. And his first warning is against pride. He is instructing that prayer is not meant to be self-serving. Sometimes we can think of our ability to pray and how we sound when we pray as being the litmus test of how religious we are. As if it's some sort of gauge of, of how connected I am to God. Have you ever caught yourself thinking of prayer that way? I mean, clearly, it can't be foreign to all of us if, if Jesus is warning us against it. So prayer is not an opportunity for us to look good in front of others or to prove how religious we are. Simply, simply prayer is an opportunity to be present with God. And there's no and Attached to the end of that sentence, it's just God. Prayer is an opportunity to be present with God. So authentic prayer, disciplined prayer is the ability to, to shut out distractions in prayer. Have you ever started to pray only for that moment to be hide, for, for your thoughts to be hijacked? 
And then, and then you just kind of pause and you're like, wait, wasn't I just praying a second ago? Or you start to pray for something that's got to happen the following day. And then you start thinking, oh, wait, did I pick that up for this? Or yeah, do they, do they need a ride there? Has your own worry and really selfishness ever led you so far off track? When you pray. Look what Jesus teaches on in in verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, go into your private room. Jesus is teaching that, that this opportunity to be present with God and this, this opportunity for authentic prayer and communion with God in this way, it happens in secret. But does this mean that we can't, we can't pray publicly? I don't think so. There are instances in Jesus' ministry in the early church where prayer is public. But the imagery of shutting a door, of, of closing yourself off, of removing distractions, of entering that quiet space of prayer is a heart issue. Just like the pride and the public display of prayer of the, of the Pharisees was a heart issue. So one author puts it this way in regards to the the practice of prayer and and the the problem of distractions. And he might have even been thinking of this scripture when he said it. Is you can't suddenly shut the door of a house that was always open to strangers and expect no one to knock at the door. He goes on to say they'll eventually stop knocking especially once they notice that you refuse to open the door. So here he's talking about that practice, that discipline of being able to shut out distractions from our prayer life. And that's what Jesus is warning us in this scripture. Yes, it is helpful to find a quiet space. Yes, it is helpful to retreat and to physically remove distractions, right? That's what we teach our kids. Close your eyes, fold your hands. Don't look at anything. Don't touch anything. But this practice is is also a a slow work. But Jesus has shown that his teaching can be trusted, and these rhythms are forming us to be more like Christ. So he says, shut the door. Pray to your Father in secret. It's this idea of emptying ourselves of our own pride. It's this idea of seeing prayer for what it's simply for what it is, which is just an opportunity to be in the presence of God. That alone should be humbling enough, right? In these, with these practices and these rhythms, it's been my prayer that God 
moves in me in a way, that the Spirit moves in me in a way that these disciplines don't become something that I have to do. They don't even, they move beyond something that I even get to do, and they turn into something that I can't help not to do. That's the goal. That's what we're moving towards. And in prayer, that's what Jesus is teaching us to move towards. Take what these Pharisees use as a pedestal to show themselves off, to seem religious. Empty yourself of that pride. Go into secret. When, you're, when you approach God in prayer, remove all pride, remove all distractions, and just think of it simply for what it is as an opportunity to be in the presence of God. When you think about it, that's simply, right? That, that, that I am who I am and I'm here. And God, you are who you are and you're there and you've given me an opportunity to commune with you. You've told me that you will listen. You told me that you will hear me. And as we'll see a little later on, like that, that motivates us to confidently approach God. Some of us may have no problem with the idea of praying in secret because we barely feel like we're worthy to do that. We may feel like we're not eloquent enough or we don't use enough words. We may feel like we're not the caliber Christian that can pray, especially with others listening. So look at Jesus's. Second warning, right? So first warning. He says, before I talk to you about prayer, just look at these two warnings. One is empty yourself in secret. Humbly approach prayer. Look where he continues in in Matthew 6, 7, and 8. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them, before you ask Him. Look at that last sentence. I feel like some of you who may feel unworthy or intimidated by the practice of prayer needs to hear, need to hear those words. Your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. For some of us, the practice of prayer, the obstacle for us in the practice of prayer, I just start with believing that we even matter to God or that God even cares to listen. For some of us, the obstacle is just that. We can't bear to think that God even cares about what we have going on. Or that God would even receive us for who we are. That God even cares to listen. How many of us have have either parented or, or walked with somebody through a season? And the whole time, like whether it's just from age and wisdom or experience, you're just walk watching this person walk through this season and you're just thinking, I know how this is gonna end. That's what 
this scripture is reminding us. That if we could, we could just see the way that God sees in its entirety and the joy and the hope that God desires for us, there's nothing that would keep us from communing with him because he knows what we need before we even ask him. God knows. God knows the hurt. God knows the frustration. God knows the wounds. God knows what you've been through. God knows the cries of your heart before you even ask them. So don't put certain language or formula. Don't put your own insecurity, maybe, or doubt in front of that when you pray. No, Jesus knows that there are going to be some of us who have a hard time approaching that throne, who have a hard time, for whatever reason, believing from what we believe in ourselves or maybe what we believe of God, we just have a hard time approaching him. But he knows what we need before we even ask him. Knowing that, we can approach God confidently because he is faithful, because he knows us because he wants to hear us, because he wants to help us. So for some of us too, prayer, prayer is kind of that lack of confidence in any of those things. For whatever reason, for some of us, a lack of confidence is, our, is an obstacle to be able to enter into that simple opportunity of being present with God. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in, in verse 416, chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. That sounds heavy, right? I mean, that language of approaching the throne of grace with boldness. And sometimes I hear this verse quoted and it seems to be kind of oversimplified, you know? Like, I'm not sure that I would give that advice to somebody who's struggling with prayer. Oh, just approach the throne with boldness. It's like, ah. But there's a therefore in that verse. And what the writer of Hebrews was saying before the therefore is that we have a high priest in Jesus who sympathizes with our every need. We have a person in Jesus who sympathizes with our every need. 
So for those of us who struggle in prayer because we, we feel like we don't know the right words to say or we don't know the right format or we're underqualified or God doesn't have, God really, I'm not sure God can really handle what I'm about to bring. We have a person in Jesus who sympathizes with our every need. Have you ever consoled someone who's going through a difficult time? Maybe someone who experienced the loss of a loved one. And in their grief, you're coming alongside them. And they may be sobbing. They may be unable to even complete a phrase, let alone a sentence. Maybe in their grief, Maybe, in, maybe out of anger, maybe out of confusion, for whatever reason, they just can't seem to put a sentence together. So overtaken with emotion, so overtaken with all that they're, they're having to process in that moment, but yet being with them, you knew exactly what they were saying exactly what they were feeling. And exactly that you wanted to be there for them. That's the imagery. We can approach God with confidence because he knows what we need before we ask him. And he wants us to receive his mercy he wants us to receive his grace and his help. And like we said earlier, we can't experience this type of relationship unless we're in a relationship with Jesus. Part of a relationship with Jesus is being formed in his image. And Jesus practiced prayer. Jesus practiced that simple opportunity to be present with God. This was one of the boxes that I checked, was prayer. When we sent out that, that spiritual rhythms survey last week, and if you haven't filled out that survey, we, we have 12 spiritual rhythms that we are going to go through in our summer series. And you can text the word RESET to 508-338-4806. And when you do this, we're going to send out a link with a bunch of, of, of different material that you can look into, depending on which practice that you check. We're asking people to, to check off one to three of them, but prayer was one of the ones that I checked. Because as I thought about it, it's, it's one of the ones that I almost didn't. But as... I've been going through this study in prayer and this study through this passage. I realized that the posture of my prayer was so far off than what Jesus was calling it to be. Simply an opportunity to be present with God. You'll also see on your Connect card, we talked about earlier, the box that says Next Step Email. 
And what I'd like to do is if you, if you check that box, is to kind of go through just a, a, few more, a, a few more practical ways to enter into this simple presence with God. Ways that will help us sort of self-examine our own posture as we enter, as we approach the throne of grace. But also practices too that will help to remove those distractions in prayer. Jesus is teaching about matters of the heart, but sometimes our response is still, are still very practical. And in closing together now, as, as the band comes up, I thought it would be fitting to, to read the, the end of this passage together, which is the Lord's Prayer, where he instructs his disciples, when you pray, pray this way. So if we would all stand now. And join together in reciting the Lord's Prayer. The words will be up on the screen. Would you read with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your kingdom. Heavenly Father, we ask that your spirit does a work in us. God, that we can see our prayer lives differently. God, that your spirit would oversimplify what prayer means to us and simply an opportunity to be present and to commune with God our Father. God, let us not take this opportunity for granted. Let us not take the, the, the life-giving sacrifice of Jesus for granted, the opportunity to even approach you in this way is made possible through him. And as we sing together now these same words that we've recited, we invite your spirit to continue to do a work in our hearts. In your mighty son's name, amen.